Hey friends, welcome to episode 42 of the Boldly Going podcast, or I should say the new and improved Boldly Going podcast, really. Um, and I say new and improved because um, we have a little bit of a fresh look, a new new look update uh, to our uh, to our uh, you know our logos and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we've got some new episodes coming up. Got some just some different changes. We've got we're on some new channels now. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google uh, Podcast. We're uh, kind of all over the place where you can find podcasts now, not just Apple Podcasts. So uh, hopefully you're hearing this on one of those. If not on Apple Podcast, so uh, let me welcome you again. If you're new to the podcast, my name is Jason Sowell, your host on this uh, journey of conversation with um, uh, brilliant, creative, inspirational people of the universe on planet Earth. That's kind of the full title: boldly going, creative, brilliant, inspirational people of the universe on planet Earth. And uh, that's what it's all about. It's talking to people that are doing uh, that are exactly that brilliant, creative, inspirational people that they're doing something in this world. There may be people you've never heard of. They might be local to uh, uh, the the area that I live in in Tampa Bay. Um, might be uh, anywhere in the country, but just uh, regular people doing great things, doing things that are inspiring. Uh, they're doing what they can to um, live their dream, uh, to accomplish something great. Uh, produce art to put something into the world that makes the world better and I want you to hear their story I want you to hear their conversations uh, that we have about what they're doing and why and all of that and so that's what we're here to do so episode 42 is nothing different uh, from that uh, except that this particular episode was recorded uh, about a month ago a few weeks ago during the height of the uh, stay-at-home order that we had here in the Bay Area and uh, so this uh, this one is recorded via Zoom um, from my home and uh, our guest John Dingler uh, from his home. Uh, so we had a, uh, a live Zoom conversation with each other, and uh, that's what uh, that's how this went. So that's kind of time stamped in that way. Our conversation involves a lot about what's going on or what was going on at the time with the uh, COVID nineteen with. Uh, the stay-at-home orders, and so some of that still kind of applies. It's still uh, is fitting because uh, we're still in that coronavirus has not gone away. It's still still a thing for sure, um, but also is not addressing any uh, any current events at the moment that's happening with um, some of the protests and Black Lives Matter and all the all the great things that are happening um, right now as far as uh, uh, trying to make some change, some positive change. Uh, to our system right now. So um, we're going to have a, a special episode coming up with a couple conversations with people uh, talking about some of that as well. So that'll be in the next couple episodes, so stick around for that. But for now, episode 42 um, with my friend John Dingler. He is uh, he is the founder uh, of an a, uh, organization called The Well 813. Um, he has started a business called Well Built Bikes. He has his own podcast called The Work Ethic. Uh, which is great. You should definitely check out. Go his podcast is on uh, you know wherever you can find podcasts as well. Um, but he's he's doing great things, doing some incredible stuff with uh, well built bikes and the well and the way that they're working in the world. So we talk a lot about that when you hear that. Um, uh, but just a great guy, just really really smart. Um, has some interesting insights on the world and uh, um, and the title of this episode is shared work, and that's something that he's really big into that he is. Uh, talks about a lot. Um, he talks a lot about freedom, 
uh, his definition of freedom and what freedom means to him. Uh, it's a little different than what how we typically talk about it. So I think that'll be interesting to you. But just a great conversation. Um, and uh, what he's doing to help people that are uh, financially struggling, people that would be considered poor, uh, and different ways that he is trying to help uh, uh, balance balance the scales, if you will, uh, for people in need. So I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. John is great. It's going to be fantastic. You can find him on, uh, on the social media, uh, Instagram and all those things. You can find him personally at Johnny Produce. Uh, we talk about that in the episode as well of why that's his handle, but, uh, Johnny produce, you'll find him there. You can find his, uh, podcast at the underscore work underscore ethic, the work ethic podcast. And you can check out well-built bikes at well-built bikes and, um, his organization, the well at the well eight one three. So definitely go check that out. Uh, you'll, you'll hear that at the end as well when he talks about, uh, his, uh, his various ventures that he's on. So, uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for being a part of the podcast family here. We're boldly going, um, really excited for you to hear from John and here we go. Episode 42. down so one thing i want to know is this uh where you're always sitting is that your home or is that your office no it's it's at my house so i had all of this was set up at the waters avenue church i have an office there um but i you know i and and i'm leaving the house enough going to the bike shop but i was like look when i'm not in the bike shop doing what i have to do i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna abide by kind of what we're being asked to do. And so I went, I drove to the church, I don't know, a month ago, a little over a month ago. God, yeah, it's been that long. And just pulled all of my office out and brought it to the house, which um, I'm actually really grateful for because when I got a house, I set up, we had one extra room and I set it up like, oh, this will be like an office, but never built any sort of habit in it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't get work done at home. But right now I'm like getting work done at home and uh, I'm getting, and actually, cause I get up really early and part and, and because there's no gym and all these different things right now, I'm like, I'm just finding myself at the desk way earlier and getting just so much more done before I normally would even like set off to the office. Yeah. So it's, it's been really good, but yeah, that's where I, that's where I'm set up now. It's just at the house, little office I set up here where I drug everything home. Nice. I like that. It looks like you're just, um, your office is basically just a, uh, a a library, a massive library. Well, what's funny is all of my books are still at my office. And then these are all of Erica's books. Um, so so what you're telling me is you didn't just set up a background with just a bunch of books. No, no, we we're like, we're like book of files. Like we, like we can't put all of our books in the house. There's no, yeah. It's, it's like, I have like my entire office is like, well, you, I think you, you've been in there, right? Have you not? No, I've never oh, been in your office. Yeah. There's books all the way around <clears throat> and I'm actually going to, we're actually going to, I'm working on figuring out some places to build some more shelving around the, around the place. Cause I want, even now, like I brought like a box of the important books home, like these books, mm-hmm. whether I open them or not, they need to be where I am. Yeah. 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 
No, that makes sense. I would love, I, I don't have a big enough, uh, a big enough room for it, but I would love a house where just like one room is just a library, like floor to ceiling. I, I just bookcases. got, I just got one of those library ladders with the wheels, mm-hmm. you know, that I've always wanted one and it's too tall to even fit in the house and there's nowhere for me to use it. Okay. I, but, but like in the, in that same desire, like I want that I had an opportunity to get that ladder for nothing. And I was like, yeah, I'm taking it. I just have it in storage. Cause I'm like, at some point I'm going right. to chop the, I'm going to shorten <laughs> the ladder. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I'll have that set up. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. It's, it's the like, man, the like old school, uh, like 19th century British, mm-hmm. you know, you go in this room and it's just like two stories of, a massive library and just sitting room in there. Like that would be the ideal for me. Mm-hmm. Like that could be the biggest part of my house. My living room and bedrooms could be like half the size of that. As long as I've got that one big room for the library. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The important stuff. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, listen, thanks for taking the time. Um, I just, it's been recording the whole time. So I don't have a, I, I'm, I'm very uh, casual. So I don't have That's a big sweet. intro. Um, but just for context that everyone that's listening, um, welcome to the, uh, to the boldly going podcast. We've got John Dingler, the, uh, the prophet as I like to call him, John, <laughs> John Dingler on the, on the program today. Um, John, uh, I'm going to let you kind of give your own, your own thing, but just for context for everyone, John runs an organization called the well, what he's probably most notable for right now is well-built bikes. Um, and I'm going to let you explain those two things, like what you do, what well-built bikes is about, what the well is about, how you got into that. Give me the rundown. Yeah, I guess I'll do my best to take a stab at that. I mean, at some level, all of it um, is an excuse to hang out with folks that are on the streets or experiencing material poverty. Like if you go far enough back in the timeline, there was no organization. I just personally had like opportunity to build a few relationships that with folks that lived on the streets here in Tampa that I realized were extremely important for me. Like I, I realized I had a deep need for these relationships, both as like a place where I personally encounter God, but also like learn and gain perspective and wisdom on the city. And um, started trying to talk other people into like, Hey, you need these relationships too. And so mm-hmm. um, the well as a, as an entity uh, eventually emerged just out of necessity. Like I was never setting out to start an organization, but, at some point you need to rent a building and we needed to open a bank account and we needed to, you know, be able to raise a little money. And so we started the well, it's a small kind of 501c3 nonprofit um, really formed around um, some of the, I, I, I mean, honestly, historically, I, I think the Catholic worker was for me a huge inspiration. Hmm. Um, now they never formed uh, as a 501c3 for some, some, maybe let's say political convictions that they had, like, uh, but they, but we did, um, but some of the like building houses of hospitality for the poor round table discussions, kind of the, the, that kind of legacy of the Catholic worker, we've really modeled ourselves after. And even that little round logo that you'll see from time to time, the well uses is like a straight out of the Catholic worker, um, newspaper is one of the, uh, by Addie, Addie Bethune was the artist that, kind of did that so that's like a tip of our hat to her that we use as kind of a logo but um so we just set you know 
kind of evolved over time, but we set up community dinners, um, you know, just kind of meeting basic needs and meeting those needs in a way that we, like I said, as an excuse to facilitate relationship. Eventually that, that grew into opening up a daytime drop-in center for the homeless. Um, initially we did that in, there's a local church called the underground that gave us some space in their building. And we opened up a drop-in center in their space, which was in Ebor. Uh, ended up getting kind of run out of that neighborhood and realized, you know, it wasn't it, as the underground moved to a new building, we couldn't move with them because of the location they were moving into. And so we, the well opened up the spot that people knew as the well, which is on the corner of um, Florida and Florida, and Tampa Heights. So that's right near Robles Park housing projects. It was across from homeless help and homeless. It was right down the street from the Good Samaritan Inn, which is a place that we've been serving a dinner every Tuesday night for years and years. So it was like right around all the people we'd been working with for some time. We ran that place for about three years, but in that location, a ton of cool stuff emerged. So we had a good chunk of land and, you know, some of the just kind of, I don't know, some of the things that we, you know, I really value work and, um, and I knew a lot of the folks that we were working with or building community with didn't have work in terms of employment. So, and a lot of them didn't have access to say good, healthy food. So I say, Hey, why don't we work together to grow some foods? We had a lot of community garden initiatives that we started. We started raising a bunch of tilapia there on site, raising chickens, doing all these kind of things to kind of grow food and work shoulder to shoulder to build relationships. Um, one of the things that happened there um, is because I we kind of had this posture of just like, hey, whatever it is that you do, you can do it here and you can do it as an excuse to build relationships. So you have like a yoga instructor be like, I want to do a yoga class, but tight, do a yoga class. That's a great way to like bond with people and um, different people would step up to do different things. But one of those was one of our volunteers, um, this girl named Jessica, um, Jessica Brenner. She was, she'd been volunteering with us for some time and she was, she only rode a bicycle. She'd been on a bicycle for like six years since she had wrecked a car or a car broke down. But about six years earlier, she just didn't have a car anymore and she never got another one. And she just started getting around by bike. Mm -hmm. And then she was volunteering with us. And one day I saw her helping someone fix their bike. So some of the folks on the streets had bicycles. And I just absolutely fell in love with that and was like, Hey, you need to keep doing stuff with bikes. She's like, yeah, that's cool and all, but like, like I like bikes, but I'm not really here to work on bikes. I'm here to like hang out with people and kind of volunteer. And I was like, that's great. Um, hang out with the people that have bikes and just kept kind of pushing her and going, could you imagine if there was like a bike shop here or whatever? Well, event, and I bought her like a little toolbox and just kept nudging her in that way and trying to vision cast. And then one day she came in. So there was a, actually a, I believe this story goes back to, um, oh, I'm going to, you're a buddy of yours, Russell. Um, yeah. Russell, start, Russell Johnson started, uh, with, um, uh, God's pedal power with yeah. Mike Olson in them yeah. like 20 years ago or something. Yeah. Well, that Mike Olson, uh, we connected, Jessica connected with Mike Olson who said, look, we've got more bikes than we can ever use. I've got bikes all over my property. I'm going to bring you a load of broken bikes. Now they're all going to be broken, but you can kind of figure something out. I'm sure you could piece them together and figure something out. So we, she came to me and she's like, Hey, I got like 22 bikes on their way. They're all broken, but like, that's what you've been talking about. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So I actually went, uh, it's funny because I had already been looking for an excuse to get a shipping container. I just love shipping okay. containers. We had enough property and I wanted some. Okay. So I went and got a shipping container like that afternoon, had it dropped on the property, 
we when the donation showed up. Hold on, pause for a second. How do you just go get a shipping container? I was already I was already looking at them. So I was I was no I wanted them like I was I had like yeah I was like obsessively I was like I'm gonna build tiny houses. We could build Mm. like we could build things out on the like I just wanted shipping containers and I was already interacting with a local shipping container company. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was in the works. I just didn't have an excuse. Got it. Like, got like it. I okay. Can't spend that money, and and I'd already like talked them down. They're gonna give me like a semi uh, donation, like half price, because this is okay. kind of beat up. So our first couple shipping containers were like retired shipping containers. Like I had to patch a hole in the roof and chain a door closed. They were ones that had been like retired from actual usage. Gotcha. So I got them for actually the first two I got for nothing except the delivery cost. And um, anyway, so we get yeah I had them immediately. Like, oh, that was quick. I was like, yeah, but no, I'd already been kind of working on that. So, so they dropped them. Then Mike showed up, dropped off the bikes. We kind of jokingly named it the recycle bin. And then the recycle bin um, was open a couple days a week. And we would just tell people, look, if you need transportation, you can go out there and figure it out. But that was one of the many different projects we were doing there. So, kind of fast forwarding, um, well, that, that whole operation was in Tampa Heights. And we worked with a lot of folks that are on the streets. And if you know Tampa, you know Tampa Heights today. I mean, it's just gotten nicer and nicer and nicer in terms of kind of yeah. what people call gentrification, urban renewal, whatever you want to call it. But it was in transition. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happens with that um, is that, you know, I mean, in some sense, the poor, bad for business, not in my backyard, kind of moves into the neighborhood. And sure. so this neighborhood that was historically poor had a lot of the services for the homeless kind of like, I mean, really Tampa Heights has most of them in kind of the downtown area. That was the neighborhood where a lot of these things had residents historically. So new neighbors move in and, 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 and to be fair, like these, a lot of the folks on the streets are, they're crazy. They're not acting right, you know, whatever. And so Hmm. there's a lot of conflict there. Well, we end up getting kind of run out of the neighborhood. There's this brutal, long process that went on where we end up getting run out as code enforcement, law enforcement, neighborhood associations. There's this whole drama narrative that plays out there. Um, but out of that, we kind of roll with the punches and I, I, you're familiar with like the 80, 20 analysis, like looking at, or do you, are you familiar yeah, with that? Like I, I am. Yeah. But explain it a little bit. So, I mean, the idea is that like, so, I mean, like if the, for people that are familiar with church, I think it's a great way to illustrate it, but it's like 20% of the people in a church uh, congregation are doing 80% of the work that gets done, right? And 80% of the people are doing the other 20. But this, this, this is, a, it's called the uh, Pareto principle. It plays out. It's an economic principle. It plays out all over the world. I mean, mm-hmm. 20% of the globe consumes 80% of its resources. Yeah. It's just everywhere you look, this is how it plays out. Well, I started using that as a template to look at our work. Like, what is it that we've done that has got the most, that has made the most impact over time? And honestly, a lot of what we do is kind of the same. Like, it's we're setting tables to kind of build relationships. And those are happening around the table, around bikes, in the garden. Like, in that way, they're kind of equivalent. Um, I would say they're better where we're working together than just eating together or something like shared work is something mm. that helps catapult relationships that I really value. Interesting. Okay. And that, that, and so the bike shop had that element, but the bikes just in that analysis, it became crystal clear to me that nothing we had ever done was as good as the bicycles. Um, they were, they were, de- they were addressing a deeper issue than the, the concrete immediate needs that we see. They got at the issue of access. 
And so you could own a vehicle that could get you access to the rest of the city, its economy, opportunities, resources, relationships. Uh, the people that we knew that had bicycles had a night and day different experience from people that didn't. And the shared work was really good. It was really good work. The abundance of bicycles that are being wasted is seemingly eternal. Um, mm. and, and it was like a game changer to the people that received them. And then, and then on top of that, uh, I started realizing like some of them were really valuable. We could sell some of them to maybe sustain the work we were doing, which at that point we hadn't done, but emerged. So as I kind of analyzed what we've done, I was like, man, the bikes are accidentally brilliant and we need to go. So as we pivoted, I'm like, okay, we're still going to do like works of mercy food kind of as best we can. We moved all that to a really mobile model. So now we have like what we call kinship markets to go out into the community to share groceries throughout the week. Mm -hmm. We have a free market tonight, actually in a few hours. And, um, but, but then we went in, and, and, and along that same kind of brainstorm, I was really, we'd already started a lawn business at the time, but we started thinking like, I need to, I need to figure out ways to make money or build social enterprise or create jobs. Because one of the things that I saw over that time was, man, people are in here taking ownership of the work. Folks that live on the street are like making the coffee, opening the place, running the bike shop, like doing, like they're working as hard as any of us, almost as full-time workers. Yeah. But they still sleep outside. We we're never going to have enough. I'm not going to raise enough money to be able to pay these people properly. And, and at first this thing that was beautiful started to like look ugly to me. Like I'm like, man, this isn't right. They're working so hard. The community needs to support them. So I started thinking like, how can we make some money and build some businesses? And then, Oh, when I look at everything we've done apart from that question, the bikes were the best. They got at the deepest issue that, of anything we've done anyway. So a couple of those together is where we kind of conceptualize well-built bikes. And so I, then I, reached out to a bike shop in Birmingham, redemptive cycles that were basically modeled after completely. Like we drove, I drove up there constantly mm -hmm. meet, meet with the guy that built that and just meet with them, copy what they're doing, learn from what they're doing, talk about what we could do and then conceptualize well-built bikes. So well-built bikes is a nonprofit bike shop that kind of emerged out of that recycle bin. So we had to close the drop-in center and move. We kind of rearranged those things and then invested what resources we did have into this bike shop. So we launched this shop. It's a full service repair shop. We sell refurbished bikes. And then we invest this, the revenue into an earn a bike program. So people that don't have money can get a bike. So not everyone's building their own bike anymore, but they can get a bike through community service hours, so mm. earn their bike, like time banking. They put in the work to get a bicycle. Some of that overlaps with building bikes. They just might not be working on their own bike. Sure. It's a lot of the hours they do, they do with us. Almost all of them actually. And then, um, and then we also do like sliding scale repairs. So, you know, cover the cost of repairs that someone on the streets or just someone that tells us, Hey, look, I'm too poor to afford this repair that I need. We just say, all right, what can you do? And we work with them. And so those are kind of the, like the, the, let's say the charitable piece of that work, but like they're the, or the non, the clearly nonprofit piece of that. Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the refurbished bike sales are equally that as well, where it's like, we're making really good bikes available at affordable prices, um, which is a way better option than something like a Walmart department store bike um, that, you know, people are going and buying that those are the things that are filling up the landfills and the trash piles really. Yeah. So anyway, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in all that, but those are, those are the broad brush strokes of like the well and well, the bikes and even the bike. So, 
we were new to bikes, new to business, new to retail, new to all that stuff. But in some sense, I still feel like we're doing what we were always doing. So the bike shop in my mind is still a table that we set to build relationships, just like the garden was, or just like any of the other projects we do are. Um, but I am, I am very proud of and happy about the fact that it is addressing a deeper issue than the concrete needs. Um, I feel like that's a, that's a better, like even for yourself, if you think back to your very first bike that you ever had and I said, well, like, what did that mean to you? Mm -hmm. You know, chances are something like freedom would come to mind. Sure. Which in my mind is the opposite of poverty is freedom. And so like, yeah, I well, really like that. Like, here's a bike. You can go rob a bank with it. You can go build a business with it. Uh -huh. you can go visit your family with it. You know what I mean? Or you could run away with it. And I, yeah. and I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm glad you brought that, brought that up too, because that's one of the things I want to ask you about too. Um, so let me, let me back up a little bit Yep. on having the first bike agreed. I feel like everyone remembers the first bike that they had, or they remember a story about that first bike. Mm -hmm. Like I remember learning to ride a bike and the way that I, I got taught to ride a bike was my grandfather had put training wheels on my bike. Um, and then he slowly over time just filed down those, those training wheels mm. so that they were so short, they weren't doing anything. And I didn't even realize it. It was just, mm -hmm. oh, I've been riding a bike the whole time and these training mm. wheels aren't really doing anything. And now I've learned to ride a bike. I don't remember anything else about that bike. I just remember awesome. that. And I remember just being able to, you know, go, go play with the, the other friends and ride around the neighborhood like we used to um, when I couldn't before because I didn't even know how to ride a bike. So mm -hmm. I, I agree with you on that. I, I want you, yeah, unpack it a little bit about the, the, well, for context, this one, this is why I have this podcast because I want people to hear from people like you that are doing things in the community or just do like you're following a passion, a, a dream, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it but you're thinking about it critically. You're not just, you're not just like, Oh, homeless people. I'm going to go feed them or I'm going to go do whatever mm -hmm. without thinking through how do we get into not just like you said, concrete meeting that concrete need, but how do we help change a system or how do we remove that, help them move from being I'm homeless in extreme poverty to maybe I'm not homeless anymore. I might still be poor, but at least I've got one thing checked off that I'm moving through the system to change where I'm at. So, and I love your idea that your philosophy of like freedom to you is choice, mm -hmm. not necessarily a set of rights, but it's a choice of certain things. Talk about mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit. We mean by that. Yeah. So, okay. Um, I'll tell you what, let me, let me, um, I'm going to take a roundabout way to try to answer that. Um, okay. I, I have a, one of the books that I have somewhere is um, Gandhi's autobiography. Okay. Gandhi at the end of his life. Okay. So in the one that I have the copy that, I, but by the way, that book is the story of my experiments with truth. I don't know if you've read it, but it's an absolutely mm. ridiculous, like it's, it's fun and ridiculous to do. He was just so weird. Uh, did, like I'm, you know, I'm doing this fast or that fast or this, it's just experiments and it's just an interesting book. But anyway, the, what I wanted to bring up was the, 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 what do you call it? The paper cover around the hard cover, like the sleeve. Oh yeah. The, uh, yeah. Well, well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. So in, in the book jacket, the, the book jacket and inside of the flap of the book jacket, there's a photograph and that photograph is a journal in the photograph. There's a journal, his glasses, his sandals, I think a pen and like a loom. And I want to say there was one other item 
maybe maybe one other item, but it said Gandhi's possessions at the time of his death. Okay. Right. And, and, you know, you can call to mind like a St. Francis of Assisi, you know, one who was like pursued lady poverty, took a vow of poverty, like had nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think of poverty and often we think of material poverty. Well, if you look at those people um, and you use that definition, you might say those people are poor. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would just think that's a wildly inappropriate use of the word poor or poverty. Okay. And, and in some sense, I think like the, oh, and, and by the way, like a Buddha, a Gandhi, a Jesus, like a, a St. Francis, these are people that we point to and go like something like a spiritual enlightenment mm-hmm. or like the fulfillment of human freedom. So in the fulfillment of human freedom, you find someone who's so free that they're free to walk away from material possessions. Right. Okay. And in that sense, I'm like, that that is an ex- that while that like if you took a picture of a homeless man's possessions at the time of his death it might not look that different than gandhi's right, right. his glasses his journal his shoes like that's what he had and the clothes on his back yeah but one of those is an expression of freedom and one of those is not an expression of freedom one of those is something like a captivity Okay. And, mm-hmm. and so, and so this is why in my mind, the opposite of poverty isn't stuff, it's freedom. And so, so, and in some sense, I would base this all the way back to like, I believe that, I mean, this is almost a theological statement. I believe humans, what makes a human human is freedom, like that we were created to be free. Right. And yep. so even like in the Judeo Christian narrative, like, this is why I think there's a, a, a this app, apple, whatever, this fruit, this tree, this thing you're not supposed to do. Some prohibition. Mm-hmm. Don't touch this. Wet paint. Don't touch. Whatever it is. It's sure. almost arbitrary, but there needs to be a choice of like not God because that may, that's what makes me free. Otherwise, I'm a prisoner even if it's in paradise. Okay. But I, yep. can, I can opt out. And so we opt out, but we are free. And, and then actually we buy our choices. We start to limit our own freedom. So then you see, this is why poverty, I would say like addiction is a form of poverty, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, mm-hmm. I start because of my choices, I start losing choices. I start becoming captive to my choices. I think a fight club, the things you own will end up owning you, right? Yeah. Like, but we lose our, our freedom, the God given freedom we were created to. And that is poverty. And in that sense, I'm like, and, and, one, that's a universalizing understanding of it. So you experience poverty. I experience poverty. And this guy on the street experiences poverty. But we don't all experience it in the same way. But we can, it gives us the ability to understand it better. And then on top of that, I would say, well, I'll just continue this in my own like logic model of all this is like, and I think that that poverty, that lack of freedom grows out of relationships that don't work right our relationship with the earth, our relationship with each other, our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, those things are broken in some sense. And in as much as they're broken, freedom gets stripped. So, so there's houses that sit empty and there's people that don't have houses. There's food that goes wasted. There's people that don't have food. The, the breaking of relationship often it manifests itself in, as poverty. And so, and, and by the way, and what I mean is both a lack of material goods, but then also a stripping of human freedom. And so I, and that's why the well, the work of the well is to set tables, to build relationships, mm-hmm. because I actually think you have a form of pop. So the, the, Hey, uh, middle-class 
person that want goodwill person that wants to volunteer with us. That's, that's sweet. Uh, you can come volunteer as an opportunity for that here. And Hey, guy on the street that needs a sandwich. Um, there's a sandwich here you can come and have, but all of it in my mind is a sleight of hand because both of you have some form of poverty and each of you have what each other needs. And in mm. that, in that bringing together of people and, and the experience of one another, we have what can liberate one another, right? Like you mm -hmm. might need a sandwich. I might need some perspective. I might need some wisdom. Yeah. And, and in that sense, I'm like the, the, the setting of tables for the building of relationship is a way for us to address poverty and, and to encounter one another as an act of freedom and to, and to, and to grow, let's say the, the arena of freedom in each other's lives. Is that, is that, Oh, that totally makes <laughs> sense, dude. That's so that, yeah, that's such a great way of looking at it. And what I was thinking of when you were talking about that is like with our laundry projects, we have a similar thing. One of the things that I love about what we do is these different people from the different walks of life. And I don't mean like the volunteers versus the customers. I even, I mean more on the level of like the volunteers that are from all these different walks of life together in the mm -hmm. space serving a certain way. So like you'll have a, let's say a pastor happens to be there because he's involved in what we're doing or part of a church, or whatever that, that supports us. And he or she's there volunteering. And then uh, right next to them serving those same people uh, is an atheist, I don't know, stripper, dancer, whatever. So I'm like, yeah. And they're right next to each other and they're conversing and they're in, in no other context with these two people be there next to each other having in, and probably any other, any other subject matter you bring up, they probably completely disagree in everything in, you know, in regards to life, but that's that common ground and they're both learning and they're both, yep. I, I think what exactly what you're saying, I would never have put in that context till you just said that, but they're both impoverished in some way and they're both gaining the riches quote unquote, if you yep. will of each other. And that's, and so, well, one, one observation about what you just said and what I was saying earlier, just to like maybe emphasize it, like I believe in work. I believe in work in, in the shoulder to shoulder work. Like I actually yeah. think, I believe in work for many reasons, but like it is better for those people to serve shoulder to shoulder than to have dinner together. Now having dinner together is a great way to build a relationship and that's mm -hmm. good. But a shared work in my mind is a, is another step into potential intimacy yeah. and building of something like camaraderie or like, this is what happens as we build something together or do something together. Um, and then um, anyway, yeah, just to kind of emphasize that, cause I think like the platform of working co-laboring is, uh, is such a rich way for us to build relationship in that yeah. way. No, I, I think that's great. Um, how, how do you think you got to that? Because in most places, even in a religious world, when they talk about building relationships, it is, there is a thing in our society across the board of eating together. I think just historically in humanity, eating together is a, if I've invited you in or I've been invited into your home to eat with you, that's a very intimate, we have, we're close, we're relation. This is, this means something more than just, Hey, nice to see you. Nice to meet you. I love what you're doing. And that's the end of, of it. Like being invited in to the table to eat and all of that is definitely means something in our society, but where did you, what made you take it to the next step of it's not just that it's also the shared work. Hey, I, 
So I, one, I would say experiential. Um, so, and, and, and by the way, this could be somewhat temperamental, right? So like I, I am personally, I mean, one, I'm not like, I'm not the most extroverted person. So I'm not just like in fully the face to face, you know mm, what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm good. I, I really appreciate face to face one-on-one. Yeah. Um, but I really do. And I, and I can look over my life and I'll bet you there's plenty of my friends, uh, or acquaintances that would say like, I felt closest to John or most like just in when we were in work together. Right. Because, mm. and so some of this could be me as it's just like, Oh, I'm aware of that in me, but I actually, and, and then I heard it put, um, into words actually c.s lewis wrote a book and i'm not gonna be able to remember exactly but the four loves something like that is a book by Mm c.s lewis and he kind of goes through like these different greek words for love and i don't even know what chapter it's in but he he says like um he he paints this picture of like love is richer um i i think i actually he uses like the phrase that i just use like it's better shoulder to shoulder than face to face so like we are drawn closer to one another when we are going the same place, serving the same God, going to the same, like we are ascending the same hill. Yeah. Like we are together in relationship, assisting one another, but on a journey together. Yeah. And, and then I also know that there's like um, ideas that I can't really call to mind um, and actually even psychological studies that have been done where you can kind of look at the fruit of, I mean, I think gangs even do this. Like it, it, it's like, if you guys go do this hard thing together, I mean, tribes have done it. You send the youth out into the woods to survive the weekend together or whatever. But like yeah. you go through some crucible together, um, you become like a band of brothers, right? Yeah. Like this is what happens when men return from the military, right? Where they were mm-hmm. a sports team or something like that. There's something there. Um, but I think for me, it was just experiential. Like, yeah, our relationship, like, it's great. Like, you're worth having a relationship with and talking to and musing on things together. But if we're do, if, if there's more than us, there's yeah. something beyond us that we strive toward together, I, I think our relationship is better situated. And I would say that, honestly, I'd say the same thing about marriages or any relationship. Man, that's actually a good observation is, like, when it's just about you and I, things, all kind of things can go wrong. Yeah. But where we have some, like, aim together um our relation our our relationship to god as a community or our 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 accomplishing of some ambition together well then we find a way to deal with a lot of the face-to-face right because there's there's reason to there's Mm -hmm. meaning that compels us beyond what is hard something worth sacrificing for and so i just believe in that i really believe in that and um yeah but but i don't know that i I think it crystallized when I read that line by C.S. Lewis is when I was like, that's the thing. Yeah. We're going somewhere together. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. I mean, while you were talking about it, I was just thinking through all the things that I've seen similar ideology, like even in movies, like you mentioned the military, military is the same thing. Like, um, like you see in movies or shows all the time. One of the classic lines of like the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Like the idea that, we have a joint goal together and we might disagree on everything in the world. We might in, in any other context be enemies, but we have this joint goal together. 
And by the nature of that thing, if it plays out, it plays out to a space of like, we at least have a respect for each other when we understand each other and we know each other on a different level than we would have had we never gone after this particular goal mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I, yeah, I, I've never thought about it that way, but I think you're hundred percent right. I think it's, I think it's a beautiful way to operate. And then just to circle back to something from earlier, um, maybe not quite the same topic, but like the idea of, so it, people, if you like, you, people will hear me say or use a phrase that, think I came up with I don't know if anyone else uses it but like the wealth of the poor and Mm. and and by in in which I generally do like in the broad brushstroke probably mean material poverty right but but poverty in every way that I'm I'm explaining it because I think there's a let's put it this way use addiction because that's a form of poverty we don't often think of and you go into a 12-step room and you'll find a wealth of wisdom among mechanics and blue-collar dudes that have like a depth of wisdom that you are mm-hmm. hard pressed to find much many other places right yeah um and then there's but there's something that i encountered i think the first time i encountered it in the in the most in a profound way that i could never shake was um i i spent some time in the philippines um i went with a church community to connect with a group over there to learn from them stayed in the slum in manila philippines and um stayed with a family a host family in one of the slums there and for days, I just had this like weird feeling, which I'm not good with feelings. And I, and I eventually put my finger on it and was like, it's jealousy. Like I'm jealous. And, yeah. and I, yeah. And I was like, Hmm, that's weird because I am extremely wealthy in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have everything you could ever want in material sense, but I had never seen joy. Like I was encountering, I had never known community and interdependence the way that i was seeing ingenuity like the way like i had never seen such ingenuity like take like a you know a bottle that your drink came in that you would just recycle or throw away and they would turn it into a shovel or a funnel or a whatever and everything mm-hmm. had like that it was valued and utilized in these ingenious ways and i just left that place thinking i want what they have. Like I desperately want, need what they have. And so this, this idea that they were rich, there was a wealth among the poor that I was impoverished in the face of, like I knew my own poverty in a very deep Mm. way because I met them. And a lot of the need for relationships with the poor for me is like something like the sobriety of that moment. Like I realized they have wealth that I want. Mm-hmm. Oh, and incidentally, I might have an extra jacket or I might have access to like material possessions or yeah. resources or connections that they might be able to utilize. Like we have what one, uh, one another need, but rather than just saying that I wanted to circle back. Cause rather than just saying that, like, Oh, that sounds nice. But I mean, like in some very deep, profound and real way, there is something that exists there. Something that's actually like tangible mm. um, that in the face of, I felt impoverished yeah that's that's really interesting i i think uh anyone that's been on some type of mission type trip or been to another country like a third world place or something and i don't know that they would put it the same way that you put it but i feel like everyone understands what you just said Mm -hmm. A, a like i think especially as americans going to another country that's third world or whatever and just completely different culture anyway i think we already have a mis 
conception where we go in thinking like, oh, it's going to be this thing that they're dealing with. And then we get there and we experience their everyday life and we go, oh no, they've got, they've got a lot more, they're wealthy in ways that I would never understand. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they barely have a house, but their understanding and sense of family is completely different than, than ours is, you know, cause they're mm-hmm. not sacrificing one thing for the other. They're looking it almost like boils down to like what's most important for us as a, mm-hmm. as human beings. And it's these things. Yeah. I have shelter could have a better house, but that's not the point. The point of it, the most important thing are the people around me and how we're sharing and all that kind of stuff, mm. which is an interesting. Yeah. So how are you um, with all the, with everything going on with the pandemic and all that, how do you see this stuff playing out right now? Do you see, is it differently? Do you see it playing out differently? Do you see it in a broader sense with people that, um, or just the understanding of like shared work and like what's important and all of that. Are you, are you experiencing any of that with people through all this? Interesting question. Um, well, yeah, so, so it's, we had an interesting experience. Um, so it looks like you froze up. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I got okay. you. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, I have an interesting experience cause like, like most of the day to day right now, like we're, so we're still operating our free market and we're still operating our bike shop. Um, and you know, people, people have transportation needs and, you know, flat tires and we're, we have a conviction. We need to be there to make sure that these guys can keep their bikes moving. And so we've been doing that, but we have the store roped off and we're not allowing folks to come in to the shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there is a, there's like a shared, it's actually been, it's interesting because we only have the immediate core staff team there. So like yeah. three or four of us that are kind of holding it down. And typically we operate and we rely heavily on volunteer base. Like people are mm-hmm. in all the time, whether it's earners or volunteers from the, from wherever. Yeah. And we're not allowing any of them to come in right now. Um, so there's a lot of lost opportunity for those shared experiences, but there's something really rich happening with that core team. Mm. Like all of a sudden we've got to like double down on our, on our own commitments. Um, we have to look to one another, really re- lean on one another to kind of walk through this. It's actually been quite busy, a uh, lot to keep up with. And, and we just have like a really, um, let's just say we have a small bandwidth given the small team right now. Uh, so there's been a really, there's been a deep, meaningful shared work between us because I think this situation has amplified the, the purposefulness, let's say Mm -hmm. uh, in some sense, like, like the, the feeling of its purposefulness and its value. Um, And, and then in our, in our free market, very similarly, like we had to streamline the process. And so there's a lot less opportunity for relationship building because of, well, social distancing. We're like, rather than even the freedom thing, like we let people shop, but we've mm-hmm. stripped some of that freedom and be like, here's a bag of groceries that you're not yeah. going to get to pick out, which I don't love, but I do love right now. Cause we're still showing up and people yeah. are going, most places are closed. So thanks <clears throat> for still being here, but we right. adapted in a lot of those ways. So we're doing in some sense inferior in the philosophical, like what we're normally doing, what I would call inferior, but important. And we're doing it as best we can. Although I would say I see a lot of, interesting opportunities emerging outside of our own immediate work in the world. Right. Like people, it's just funny. Like uh, the whole, like uh, we're in this together separately. 
you mm-hmm. know, kind of yeah. thing you'll hear people say. Yeah. But there is something like globally, we are all facing this together. And there is something like a forging of unity in a shared crisis, just like a shared work or whatever. People are coming together to whether it's raise money or feed people or support medical workers or frontline workers or whatever it is. And so I, beyond it's, it's interesting. It's exciting because it's like, there are more places, there are more tables being set. There are more opportunities where folks are coming together. More of the world that we would hope to see uh, is happening. More people are being good neighbors to one another and sacrificing for one another and reflecting on what matters most um, mm-hmm. to one another. And re- and by the way, one of the interesting things about a virus is it is not, it does not know race or economic class. And so rich and poor are in this together. Now I know they experience it quite differently, both from their, the, the shelters that they remain in are mm-hmm. night and day different. Um, but also maybe their own, their own existential threat uh, in, in it. Like, like someone who has quite a bit economically might feel this more as they lost as the stock market tanks and they're losing this and that and they're bad to lay right. off all of their employees and like and they're used to a clean healthy environment and all of a sudden they're being threatened with sickness and death and economic decline whereas maybe the guy that lived on the street is like I didn't have any of that shit and death is always right around the corner this is just another Tuesday. Like, Mm, so mm -hmm. in that sense, the experience might be quite different, Yeah, but they are experiencing it together. It's, it doesn't know it hasn't, it's not coming to one class of people. Now it it will impact those people differently, but um, those are opportunities to me. I think there's a lot of opportunities for, for unity to be Mm -hmm. developed for relationship to be built. Um, yeah. And some good opportunity for really good reflection right now as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic about the pause button being hit and our habits being made conscious. Like, yeah. Here's what you do with all your time. Think about it. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with that. Well, I guess Ed too is a thing about it. So on the idea of like shared work, when you're put into a scenario like this, where it's on J- not- Jason, I'm sorry. You're, you're breaking up really bad. I, I, I'm not catching what you're saying. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Yeah. It, I don't know. It's totally fine on my end. It's weird. Okay. Um, so what I was going to say is, um, it, you know, the idea of shared work in a time like this, where you almost, it's almost impossible for you to be shoulder to shoulder with someone. How do you mm-hmm. see that play out in that shared work where you're still being able to be at the table together to learn? Like, how is that experience looking different. I know you talked a little bit about in your shop, you're only, you're stripped down to a certain number of people, but on a larger scale, how do you see that maybe playing out if it's like this for a while? Yeah, it would, we would have to get very um, intentional about, I mean, and I think people, it's interesting. People are um, finding opportunities to connect on, well, things like this, like jumping on zoom calls and connecting in different places like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And but it, it, it is, it is quite difficult right now. And I don't, I don't know that I have my head around it completely because I keep mentally thinking, you know, we can get back to the work right yeah. together. Yeah. I mean, like I am, I'm, I'm a, I tremble at the thought that this is like a forever situation to the point that I, I almost 
don't think it would be an acceptable outcome. Like, I'd yeah. rather just go be together and die. But I know that's not the thing we're supposed to be saying. I'm just right. like, yeah. I'm not sure that's not what I would be doing. <laughs> um, but I, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we, we would have to get creative. And I think, honestly, I think, look, it, the goal stays the same. So what my experience in all this is like, what I think what I love about a shifting landscape is it makes having your eyes on the prize, all the more engaging. Right. Mm -hmm. And so whatever that thing is, it's like, okay, we need to find opportunities to build relationships. Well, right now, I mean that, that a lot of that looks like things like phone calls, text messages, use of the internet, social media, things like that. Yeah. Just maintaining relational connection. Um, but no, we don't have a lot of opportunity for shared work right now in the way that we've known it. We're not yeah. wrenching on a bike together. We're not working in the garden together. Um, and even our teams that are like serving kinship together are doing it in very limited capacity and with social distancing and things like that. So it's, it's complicated. Um, now I do think we are those, the few of us that are doing that are experiencing some kind of a opportunity with each other, even in the distance, like we're care, like passing a baton. Like I'm not yeah. running the free market tonight, but the pastor from Waters <laughs> Avenue is, and then we'll pass the baton and the next one of us will pick it up and we're taking turns with a lot of the work that needs to be done. So there's a lot of good team building opportunity and stuff there, but no, it is a loss. And if it was like, Oh, this is just the way it is from now on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It, it would, it would be like, Oh, I'd have to really deeply rethink like right now, even the earn a bike program, we're not able to facilitate because we can't facilitate the hours. Mm, okay. Right. So like, yeah. we're, I mean, I honored the last few that uh, had done their hours and then a couple people that were like, yo, I need a bike. I'm like, just come in and we'll figure out some, like, what do you got? 12 bucks. Let's figure it out. 30 bucks. Like just, yeah. you're going to need to put some money together or do something. Cause I can't, but I can't facilitate it as, as we have historically because you, you can't do volunteer hours. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings up an inter interesting question for me too. So why, why the investment on their part that they have to give time or money to earn that bike rather than just, well, you're poor or homeless or whatever. So here's, here's a bike. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, and again, in my mind, the work is as much of a gift as the bicycle. Mm. So like, yep. it's, it's, it's again, a lot of what we do is kind of a sleight of hand. Like it's like, you want a bike, but what you get is meaningful work for which you're well compensated. And yeah. that actually is the, the gift. Um, well, incidentally, it, 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 it's, it, it helps shape what we, the hoped for outcome with the bicycle, because when you get a bike, it's a tool to get work done, to accomplish a goal, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, to, and like I said, you're free to use that tool however you like, but we hope you use it well. And we hope, we hope that the work you do with us is like begins a virtuous cycle, right? That yep. you, you, it's rewarding and meaningful. And I, and I, my stand up a little straighter, you know, and I feel mm. a little more pride in it. And I mean, and I'm not, I'm not opposed to like, like I, with food, look, if someone's hungry, we give them a bag of groceries. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to do other than say you need it. Um, and I'm good with that. I don't think I'll ever change that. Like, I don't, think you need to earn your groceries in that way. Like not in, like, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. But, um, I also am 
I, I also understand how if I depend on you for my groceries every week forever, um, that I somehow become disempowered. I become dependent on, mm -hmm. and, and now if that's just offsetting a cost so that I can do these other things that I'm responsible for, like take care of my kids or get some medication or like I'm actively building them. I'm like, dude, like I'm, I'm happy to see your groceries go like as a universal income, like here groceries every week. Cause you're, you're building something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, and I, and we hope for that, but I'm not like holding that out as like you're qualified or not qualified, but with the bikes, there's just an opportunity there, like sweat equity and investment and it's, it's, it's rewarding and it's good. And so we take, we have people, they work, typically they'll work two, five hour days with us is like what they're going to put in. And at the end of each of those days, we have them journal and we kind of accumulate those journals um, in this like spreadsheet. We type them out word for word and we kind of keep that so that over a season I can do like a content analysis of that. Mm. And actually earlier I said meaningful work for which you're well compensated. That wasn't yeah. mine that emerged out of those journals. Like people told us, I feel like, like I I've been out of it. I have been unemployed for so long, but all of a sudden I felt like I carried my weight. I had responsibility. I invested in this thing and I mm. earned this thing. And man, this is so much better. It's just so much better. I mean, historically, it's like, I could give you a bike. Um, and you know, maybe you use it well. And, and, and honestly, I'm not opposed to that. Like I know a lot of like even God's pedal power was set up that way. Like we, sure. we tussled over that in the beginning. Like Mike was like, cause we were having everyone build their own bikes. And he's like, you can't do that. They're going to do it wrong. And they're going to steal all your <laughs> tools and everything's going to be broken. And he was right. Okay. He was absolutely right. We were buying new wrenches all the time. Things mm -hmm. were going out ridiculously, uh, not done right or whatever. Okay. But for us, just as like ideological knuckleheads we're like, I don't care about that. So mm -hmm. what if the bike falls apart? The relationship lasts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what if I got to buy new wrenches? <clears throat> I'm investing in these friendships. Right. Yeah. Like it's, that's just the excuse we're making. But ultimately what happened when people had bikes that worked and we saw, Oh my gosh, this is a really good tool for freedom and empowerment. Um, we doubled down on it. And so now we have a certified bike technician build the bikes and go over every bike before it's given to anyone or goes out. So we're like, yo, it's a good bike. You can rely on it. Um, and people, but people still need to put in the work in the process in some way. So yeah, it's just, it's just super important to us. And, and I'm not, while I may adapt temporarily to the situation, um, I, I feel like, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a, a request for mutuality and investment. Like, Oh, you need it. Cool. Here's an on-ramp mm -hmm. up to you. You are free to take us up on that offer. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, I wanted you to talk about that because I have a similar philosophy and it, like, you know, about our affordable Christmas that we do kind of similar idea that like there's for us, the idea that you investing on some level might be pennies might just be a little bit, but it's you're investing on some level that that feeling of I worked for this, I earned this, whatever is, I think is just from a humanity standpoint is a much more meaningful and fulfilling thing than great. You just gave it to me. And then I just depend on you giving it to me all the time whenever I need it. 
Yeah. Every time I've heard you talk about affordable Christmas, I'm like, amen. That's exactly right. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And that's, I, I think it's interesting just kind of seeing those things right now through the prism of what we're in, mm-hmm. in the moment. Cause I'm much like you where we talked about this the other day where I'm, I'm more extroverted. So the thing that's hard for me right now is I can't be around a big group of people. I can't, I'm a, I'm a physically affectionate person. So not being able to hug someone mm-hmm. is like, it wrecks me because I'm mm-hmm. such a, I need that for myself personally. Yep. Um, so that's really, that's really tough. And I like exactly what you're saying. I'm like, man, if we live, if we live in a world where handshakes and like hugs are not a thing anymore, I don't know that that's a world that I, that I want. Like, I don't know if I'm down with that kind of world. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, um, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, uh, that's a cost benefit analysis. that's crystal clear to me, but I also recognize it's not ultimately I have to make a decision for me. Sure. But yeah, but I also recognize the repercussions of my decision on everyone else. So I'm being, yeah, for sure. And I'm very slow to haste in that. And yet at the same time, I'm like, keep checking the watch. Like at what point is this not the right, situation yeah yeah when do we get there yeah absolutely today i understand right yeah and none of that to say that like that's not the right thing to do right now that Mm -hmm. people don't need to separate yeah absolutely important right now but like you're saying in a lot when you're looking long term at this like is that this can't be this can't be how it how it goes forever Mm -hmm. because i think too just from a human standpoint i think we need that physical touch that physical presence with one another even you know within a few feet of each other. I think it's just ingrained in our nature as human beings that we need it. Yep. So, um, awesome. So, uh, just, we're getting close to kind of wrapping up here. So a couple, couple things that I always ask, um, at the end, well, first of all, what is it? Um, a few things. One, explain the, where did the name and the idea of the well come from? Yeah. Um, good man very few people ask about that so the well um it's a it's a it's funny because it's such a it's such a terrible name for an organization in terms of like um being generic as generic as could possibly be okay and so there's a million things called the well and we're confused with a local women's bible study or the an original online community the well and there's just a million wells right but um we weren't trying to build a brand we were just it was meaningful to us. It's a reference to the story of the woman at the well um, in, I believe, John 4. Okay. And so for those that don't know, there's this um, Samaritan woman. I'm going to break uh, it down even more. This okay. is in the Bible. Oh, in the Bible. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. In the New Testament, in a book called uh, the Gospel of John, or that we refer to as the Gospel of John in chapter 4, um, Jesus uh, he's with his disciples and they're, they come to this. Well, the disciples like his whole crew basically go, Hey, we're hungry. We're going to go get some food. And so they bounce and they leave. And so he's alone and he finds himself alone at a well and he meets this Samaritan woman. Now Samaritan Samaria was nearby and they were, this was like really looked down upon by the kind of Jewish people at that time. The Samaritans were considered like, the trash people, whatever. And this woman comes, it's the middle of the day and she comes to this well. And so there's a lot of reasons to think she's kind of outcast even in her own people because she's there alone in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. But he, he meets her at the well 
and he asked her for a drink of water. And um, that that's it. It was it was this moment of mutual like this moment uh, of that broke with conventional division, right? Over overstepping gender lines, ethnic lines, economic lines, like all of these things, but that he was asking her, like he was thirsty and making mm-hmm. his thirst known to her. And then they have this beautiful interaction and she said, and basically he's like, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me and I would give you water so you would never thirst again, the living water or whatever, the way the gospel of John is written. And mm-hmm. then she leaves, goes back to her town and is like, I need to tell everybody, you got to come meet this man. He knows everything about me. And the disciples come back there, you know, there's this whole cool interaction. I have food you guys don't know about, which I think is super cool because he's nourished by the work, which mm. to me is super meaningful, right? The work yeah. is to the food, yeah. which I love. And like, that's, that's awesome. the table, right? And then, and then, and then, but then they look up and of course she's returning with this mass of people from Samaria. And there's this line that, you know, a lot of people will reference, Christians will reference, like, you know, the fields are ready for harvest, but the workers are few. So mm-hmm. pray for workers. And so at, for me at the level of like the meaning of work in all of that, but then also like the, the coming to the needy because you need something or going to the woman that would be the one that salvation is to come to in the story, but actually making a request of her. Like I'm, I have thirst too. Mm-hmm. And like, to me that just, that story embodies everything I hope that we would be. Um, that we would come to folks in material need and say, actually, I need you in my life. I'm not complete without a relationship with you. Can you give me something to drink? And maybe I have something to offer you as well. And mutual reciprocal relationship. I, I just, that's where the, that's where the name came from. And so that name, that name, while super deep and meaningful for us sucks as a brand, it's just ridiculous for all the reasons I said, but then when we started doing bikes, and like, I think it was Mike Olson was the first one to be like, the well is building bikes. You should call it well-built bikes. Get it? <laughs> the well is building bikes. We're uh-huh. like, that's super cheesy. We'll never call it that. <laughs> and then, and then like whoever the next person was, it was a joke. And the next person was a joke. And then one day I was like, you know what? Let's roll with it. Like the well's building bikes, well-built bikes. Yeah. Hopefully they're well-built. Let's get Chris certified. So they're well, they're actually well-built. Yeah. And then that has done that has worked tremendously well for us as a, as a brand, as a name as what people recognize and even casting a vision now for a well-built city. Yeah. Um, That's, that's the kind of thing that's actually really worked, but the, but yeah, but that's where the name, the well originated was a group of us just kind of looking at that story from John four. Yeah, man, that's so awesome. That's such a great, uh, I've never, you know, obviously I went to Bible college as well. So, but I, I've never thought about that story in that, in that way of looking at it from the, the standpoint of like, he, you know, Jesus as the one that quote unquote had all the value that had everything mm-hmm. to offer was also a need. And he presented that first to the person who theoretically did not have anything to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh man, that's, that's such a beautiful, beautiful way of looking at it. That's you're a genius. You're so smart, John. Oh, well, Um, I guess. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. So on that note, I think that's probably a great place to kind of wrap things, but I have a couple, couple final questions, um, not specifically related to all that, but one being that um, where can, where can people find you, follow you, social media website, how can people contribute or get involved, whatever. 
what do you want to put out there? Yeah. Um, well, me personally, um, you know, years ago I worked in um, Winn-Dixie and I worked in the produce department. And at the time I was going by the name Johnny. And so my name okay. tag said Johnny and then underneath it, it said produce. And so I started going by, and that's when I think shortly after Gmail came out and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be Johnny produce. Uh, and so that just over the years stuck. So, uh, on Instagram or I think Facebook, maybe definitely on Twitter, it's, at, you know, at Johnny produce. Okay. Uh, so I'm Johnny produce. I love it. And then, um, the well, um, are very, they're not the most active of our accounts, but the well 813 on Twitter, on Instagram, um, the well Tampa on Facebook, um, the well also has a really crummy out of date, like blogger website. Uh, so well tampa.com, hopefully one day I can get that, uh, better made, but that's not been the top priority. Um, sure. and then well boat bikes, um, is the website is bike shop tampa.com at well boat bikes on all social media. Those would probably be the cleanest, most active expressions of any kind of like online platform we have. Yeah. And, um, you can DM us at any of those or, um, yeah. Yeah. Go get a bike from a, I bought my bike from there and it's great. You love, I love it. it. Yeah, man. I love it. I love That's it. It's awesome. I keep getting told how much of a hipster bike I have now, but yeah, well, um, we saw you come and we're like, Oh, we got the bike for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're right. Cause I'm so hipster. Um, but no, I love it, man. It's a great bike. It's been, it's been fantastic. I love it. It's been my, uh, workout, especially now with not being able to go to the gym. So it's been Dude, my... everybody's on bikes now. I mean, yeah. Bike shops all over town are like, we cannot keep up Yeah, because I bet. everyone's dragging out their old bikes. Like, yo, fix it up, tune it up, or I need a bike or whatever. It's yeah. You know, yeah. It's all the rage these days. Uh, so two final questions, one for you, John, and then I present a final question to everyone listening. Um, for you, I, question I ask every, every guest, there's no right or wrong answer. Just curious on your opinion. Um, you know, the idea of this podcast is boldly going the idea that you can, you can go and accomplish or go after the thing that you care most about the thing you're passionate about. Um, my question to you is, do you think everyone has that ability? uh, to go boldly go and accomplish or chase that thing. Uh, and then why or why not do you think that is? I do think everyone has the ability, although I do think a lot of people have things that stand in their way. Um, internal realities that stand in their way. There's a lot of things that stop us from action, mm -hmm. uh, overthinking and all these things. So we have heard you've heard it's a cliche. People will say, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Mm, mm -hmm. Right. I hate that idea. Yeah. And so I've all, I repeat constantly to people, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing badly over and over and over and over. If it's worth doing, do it wrong. Because I actually think the way to go is to go. So don't draw up your business plan, get busy working. Don't, mm. Don't try to learn everything you can learn. So I'll give you an example. It's a terrible example because I'm a total failure at this thing. But like recently, <laughs> recently I, I got, I got an idea that I got an idea for a, like a kind of a side business to an overlap of kind of our social enterprise stuff with our garden project. And I was like, we can grow. Um, so it's a microgreen project. And at some point when I have some more bandwidth or if someone wants to get involved with me, we can do this. But I basically I, and it started with, I know an individual that 
she has severe disabilities. She's never going to like be employed in any way that is anything that isn't just like a charitable situation or a voc rehab type situation. Mm-hmm. But I, but I love her. And I actually think she has tremendous work ethic. It's just, unfortunately she has severe limitations with hands, mouth, feet, leg, like in every way. Mm-hmm. And so, but I was like, and, and with the, some of the kinship outreaches, we have these women that are shut-ins, you know, they're like, they're not leaving their house, but there is a, so if you're familiar with microgreens, you can grow microgreens. Do you know what those are? Yeah. Okay, sweet. So for those that don't real quick, it's like the first couple days of a plant, like you can, when a broccoli shoot comes up right after sprout and before it like really becomes a plant, it's microgreen. And those are one of the highest density nutrition things. And they're in high demand uh, with restaurants as garnishes for salads and things like that. We have some historical relationships for some local restaurants buying some of our produce and things. And I was like, and they have like a two week crop cycle. You can turn these things super fast. And I was like, Oh, you can grow these in trays on a rack just about anywhere. So I was like, I'm going to fill the town. I'm going to put like a shelf on your property, fill it with microgreens. You just squirt it every day. I'll teach you the thing. And then every week I'll come by. Let's, I'm just making up numbers. Let's say I could sell a tray for 10 bucks. Then I come by and say, I'm going to give you five bucks per tray that you produced. I'm going to go flip them, build a sales pipeline. I can start building little livelihood projects with all these people that don't have opportunities. I still want to do this. I still think it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what I did was took a little bit of money and I bought two racks the trays, the seeds, the, the coconut fiber that you grow them in. I got it all set up at the house and actually initially at the church. And, um, I, I was setting it up. So I laid it out, put the seeds out, sprayed it with water and someone was there and they're like, okay, now what? And I was like, and I remember saying this cause I turned to them. I was like, I don't know. I didn't watch the video that far. <laughs> like I watched the video enough to know, okay, you lay them out and you spray them. Now I, the, in the end, I did it completely wrong. And I grew these trays of mold because I didn't ventilate. Pro- like I had it in a shut in area, whatever. doesn't matter. And I, you can look back in our, the, my community that the well grew out of. You can look back and we used to joke, like we do everything wrong the first time, mm. but I actually think there's an ethic there uh, 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 and connected to the idea of going boldly. It's like, yeah, go make an idiot of yourself, go figure it out. And all of those psychological things like they're things like i don't want to be a failure i don't want to look stupid i don't you know i want mm-hmm. to succeed at this but to me like success is doing and that's where you're going to figure it out and you're going to learn so for me i would say to anyone with any impulse any idea anything is like go if it's worth doing it's worth doing poorly go do it really poorly yeah i love it that you know? I 100% agree. I think, not to go too far into this, but I do think people are a lot of times too afraid of mistakes and failures. Like we've conditioned ourselves to, yeah. um, it's got to be, it's got to be right the first time. And I understand that because I'm a perfectionist, so I want things to be done right the first time because um, I don't want to have to go back and fix it. And also, I feel there's an internal thing for me that if I did it wrong, that means that I'm a failure. But that to me, but I've learned those are two different things. Failing at something doesn't mean you're a failure. Mm-hmm. Failing at something is just means you just, you didn't do it right that way. That's now try to do it a different way. Like mm-hmm. we, I think we have a, we're so good at uh, personalizing everything that it collapses us rather like we equate, like I said, 
fail that thing failed to I'm a failure. Not mm-hmm. not no, that thing just failed. At least well, tried. And I don't know the quote. I'm not gonna reference it right, Edison maybe, but it's like I didn't I didn't fail. I just found five hundred and seventy six ways that don't work. Yeah. Yeah, right? it was, like, it's I just, the classic, uh, the light bulb, when he invented the light bulb, like mm-hmm. it was like, you know, like his hundredth try, he, it finally worked. And it was uh, 99 times that I just learned that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, exactly. So, so true. Um, cool. I love it. That was a great answer. Uh, and so I turn it around to everyone listening uh, as we close it out. Um, you've heard a, you've heard a story today. You've heard John's story. You've heard a philosophy for him, you've heard in his idea on um, boldly going and what that means. And um, so on the way out to you listeners, I ask, um, what can you do this week, uh, this month, especially now that we've got extra time on our hands, what can you do to, to begin that process of boldly going after the thing to, to be okay with making the mistake and not doing it right the first time around, but at least getting out there and doing it. Um, what can you do this week? Put it down on paper, put it in front of you, say it, speak it to yourself and just start doing it. Start putting it into action. As John said, like, I love that phrase. Success is in the doing. I, I totally agree. Like, um, so I challenge everyone listening to that, uh, from John's story, from what John is doing, take some inspiration from that and go, go do it. John, thanks for being on the, on the, uh, episode, man, on the podcast. I appreciate awesome. you having me, man. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, everyone go, go listen. Thanks for joining.